Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start this morning. Uh, Just because I said so. You ever heard that before? (laughs) Ever heard that from your parents? Just because I said so. You uh, adults, remember ever hearing that from your parents? Just because I said so. And when you heard that, what did you think? You thought, I will never say that to my kids. And, And now you do say that to your kids, right? It's hard to be a kid because you think you've got something completely figured out. You know the right decision to make. And then there's somebody who's an authority over you and they can just say no, just, just because I said so. It's hard. It's really hard to be a kid. But you know what? It's even harder to be a parent. And you just can't understand that. Sorry. It's just something that you can't grasp until you're there. So you just have to trust me that it's even more difficult to be a parent. This morning what we're going to talk about is uh, being kids and being parents. And I feel pretty confident that every single one of us is somebody's kid. Right? No matter what age you're at, you, you belong to somebody. And you may be at a different stage in life than others. It may be that you live in someone else's home and they take care of absolutely everything. Or you may be a student and you're kind of in that in-between period where you're living on your own, but somebody else is helping you out financially and physically. Or it may be that you're out and you're on your own and you're completely independent from your parents. And so as we talk about being a child, the application to you may be a little bit different depending on the stage of life that you are. It may be that you have kids or maybe you don't have kids. So again, you may be wondering about how that second part actually applies to you. So what I want you to think about as we go through the the biological or the physical relationships this morning is also our spiritual relationships. Because uh, not only are we biologically related to people, but we're spiritually related to people. And discipleship is, in a sense, it's spiritual parenting, but you also need those who are over us who are spiritually parenting us. So think not just in terms of your physical relationships in the world, but also the spiritual ones that God has given you and how you could apply these different principles throughout. Okay, So Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, notice that Paul addresses children first, probably because they are in a subordinate position. He addresses them as the subordinates first before he addresses those in authority. Maybe, probably, not sure, but I think there's a more important theological principle, and it's this. We cannot know how to exercise authority over others well until we learn how to live under authority well. A prerequisite to being excellent at exercising authority over other people is learning to live under authority, because you will always have authority over you your entire life. You have to live well and wisely under it so you'll know how to exercise it over others. And Paul starts with those in a subordinate position. He says, children, obey your parents. Now, I've studied a lot of Greek. Like I took five years of Greek classes, and I've been reading Greek for the last 25 years, and I did an extensive word study on obey. And you know what obey means? Yeah, it means obey. It means basically do what you're told, without complaining and without grumbling. If you're complaining and grumbling and whining, you're not actually obeying. Now, it doesn't mean that you like the instruction given to you, but you are choosing to embrace the will of, of another and you're putting your will under that other person. So as children, give in to the will of your parents. Do what you're told and do so without grumbling and complaining. Now, Paul gives... Therefore, three motivations for kids for this really difficult command. First is this, because you're in the Lord. Now, what he means by that is in the church in Ephesus, it's a house church, it's a home church, 
30 people, 40 people. They're all gathered together. There's no children's Sunday school. There's no youth group. Parents are sitting with their children. And this letter is being read aloud to everyone. And he's speaking particularly to those children who are old enough to have believed. He's saying, you are in the Lord and your parents are in the Lord. Therefore, you're not just biologically related, but you're also spiritually related. And so you have an obligation before God to obey what they tell you to do. Now, that doesn't mean if your parents are not believers that you don't have some obligation to obey and honor and submit, but he's talking about a particular case in point. Believing parents of believing children. Second reason, he says, is because this is right. Now, what he means by that phrase is simply, this is what everyone has agreed upon throughout all of human history. Right? This is just the right thing to do. And if you look at Greek culture or Roman culture or Jewish culture, it's pretty much the same thing, Roman culture. Children were expected to speak respectfully, to their parents, to, to honor them uh, as they got older, to provide for them when they died, to bury them, and then after they had died, to venerate them or honor them. In other words, you could never get away from this obligation to honor your parents. In fact, Cicero would say your first obligation is to the, the state because in his mind that was a higher duty, but then he would say to parents, you have this obligation, an obligation that never ends even after they have passed away. Well, similarly, in Jewish culture, not this uh, obligation to the state first, but speak respectfully, honor your parents, provide for them uh, in their old age. And in particular, the Jewish concept was uh, honor them as having the earthly place of God in your life. So when you honor your parents, you are in fact honoring God. Have you ever noticed in the Ten Commandments, the first four are related to your relationship with God, the last five, your relationship with people, and the one that bridges the two is Honor your parents, because your parents represent the authority of God on earth. They're the first authority that you learn to submit to as if submitting to the Lord. So Paul quotes from the Ten Commandments in verse 2, and he says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. That is, give your mother and give your father the honor that is due to them according to the authority that God has placed in your life. And I would argue that this is the fundamental and maybe the first character lesson that every person has to learn. You will always have authority in your life. It starts with your parents, and then you have teachers, and you have coaches, and then you have employers, and then you have police and governors and presidents. You always have authority in your life. And this is going to be the fundamental character challenge and character formation issue, I would argue, for absolutely every single one of us. I remember reading a story about um, a boy who uh, one time was uh, walking up to a store with his mom, and he couldn't read yet, and he looked up on the, uh, the door, and there was a sign, and he said to his mom, what does that sign say? And his mom said, well, the sign says, don't touch the glass. And so do you know what he did? <laughs> of course, he touched the glass, right? Go all the way back to the garden. What's the issue for Adam and Eve? God said, don't do this. And they said, yes, we will. Right? God said, this is my will. And they said, no, this is our will. Not your will, but ours be done. And here we are. And here we are. We're touching glass all over the place, right? 
It says don't do this and there's just something that rises up within us and we want to. We want to exert our own will over every situation and we battle and struggle with that and it's the fundamental character issue, learning to bend our will to God and learning to bend our will gracefully to those who are in earthly authority over us. And it will be a constant battle, but it will be the center, I would argue, of our very character. So if you look at the Garden of Eden and then you move to the Garden of Gethsemane, you see two very different responses to authority. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. In, in, his, in his humanity, he said, that's not what I want. In fact, he, he didn't want to go so badly that sweat came down like drops of blood. And yet he turned to his father and said, not my will, but yours be done. Which is the exact opposite of the response of Adam and Eve. It wasn't what he wanted, but he chose to embrace the will of his father. And now also, here we are. Justified in right relationship with God, possessing eternal life because Jesus in that very moment was willing to bend his will to the will of the Father. Two gardens, two different responses, two different results. One brought us into death and one brought us into life. And this is just fundamental to the formation of our character and who we are. Now, kids, some of you are going, oh man, but it's just, it's so hard. My parents say, just because I said so. I want to remind you that Jesus had to learn that too. But it's not just you. Jesus had to learn that too. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8, it says, Although he was a son, that is Jesus, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. Jesus in his humanity had to grow, he had to learn, he had to change. I can't explain that being God in human flesh, but even Jesus had to grow. And maybe you say to yourself, well, okay, but he had God as his father, and my mom and dad, she whiz. Well, he had to learn to submit to his earthly mom and dad as well, right? Luke chapter 2, it says, Jesus went down with them, that is his parents, and he came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them, that is he bent his will to his parents, and he kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And I will promise you that Mary and Joseph were not perfect parents. They didn't always lead properly. They didn't always discipline properly. They didn't always encourage perfectly. They were not perfect parents. And yet Jesus chose to remain under their authority. And as a result of that, it says he continuously was growing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. And this is simply fundamental to the formation of who we are. No matter what your age is, you'll always be challenged by this. Learning to bend the knee. Now, uh, some of us are completely independent from our parents. So what's the application to us? Well, we, we honor our parents. We honor them by initiating with them, right? by continuing to pursue them, by continuing to include them in our lives. To the extent possible, we continue to seek out their, their wisdom and their advice. We may not choose to follow it, but we pursue them and we listen. And I would say that for some of you, what that means to honor your parents is that you forgive them. Some of you probably come from homes where you feel deeply wounded by mother or father or both. What God's calling you to do today is to trust him and entrust your parents to him. And you may never get resolution and complete reconciliation in that relationship. Maybe God today is instead calling you just to release that debt to him. And the way that you honor your parents is by letting God work that out for you. I mean, I've known adult children whose parents have been gone from this earth for years and they're still controlled by an unwillingness to forgive the debt that they feel is owed to them. And the best thing maybe some of you could do this morning would simply be to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I trust you 
And I trust you to get justice in this situation. Maybe your parents are still living. Maybe your parents are gone. But it's still controlling your heart because you haven't been willing to relinquish it. Maybe you need to honor them by including them. Maybe you need to honor them by pursuing them. Maybe you need to honor them. You can't get reconciliation in the relationship, but you just need to release and forgive. Many of you are in that stage of life where you're somewhere kind of in between. You're living on your own. You're a student here, and maybe you talk to your parents once a week or once a month or whatever, but they're still paying a lot of your bills. Right? And so you're kind of in this gray area. Uh, do I obey everything, or do I just honor and respect? What does it look like? Well, let me give you an illustration. Uh, I'll show you one way that I think it kind of works out. When, um, when Tristan and I were doing college ministry, uh, every summer as mission projects came around, I would get a call from a student who would say, I really, really, really want to go on this mission project. And my parents said, no. They said, I can't go on this mission project. And parents weekend's coming up. They're going to be in town. I want you to sit down with us and tell them that I should go on this mission project, that it's the will of God. And I would say, you know, I, I always love meeting parents. Sure, bring them in. I just can't promise you what, exactly what I'm going to say to them when they, they come in because I need to kind of listen to the story and everything, right? I go, okay, as long as you tell them I should go. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see. So they come in, right? They sit down, and the, the kid just launches out and says, I need to go on this mission project. And, I, you know, my parents are telling me no, but I need you to say that I can go whatever. And everybody, I can just feel the room. Everybody's getting kind of tense, uh, right? And so then I would turn to the parents and say, talk to me a little bit about why you don't want uh, your son or your daughter to go on this trip. And what was interesting was it was almost always Christian parents. Okay, let that just soak in for just a minute. Okay, the non-Christian parents... It usually it didn't really come up because they would say, man, that sounds like a cool cultural opportunity. Have at it. Be the Christian parents who would come in because they were afraid. But they were afraid of the danger out there. They um, felt really uncomfortable with their kid begging for money from their friends and family. And so they were super resistant. So I would listen to their uh, story, why they didn't want their kids to go. And then I would turn back to the student and I'd say, uh, I just have one question for you. Who's paying your bills? I mean, I'm telling you, every time we had, we're having this conversation, it never came up with students who were paying their own bills. So it always, well, they are. And so, well, then you can't go. What? And the parents would you know, just kind of, man, I, I had everyone's attention. I had everyone's attention. And then I said, you know, they're in authority over you because they're paying your bills. And if you say to me, you know, this is the will of God, and I know that if I don't follow and I don't go overseas right now on this trip, I'm disobedient to, to God, then I would say to you, then, then you need to go and it's your moment to be financially independent. Time for you to step away and go and be completely independent. So on the other hand, if your parents, if you stay under their authority and your parents tell you, you cannot share your faith, I don't want you reading the word, I don't want you praying, I don't want you worshiping, then you must, in fact, disobey them and accept the consequences because they've usurped the authority of God in your life. And they've taken on a role that only belongs to God. Now, what was interesting was in almost every case, when we had this conversation, sometimes the parents would actually be softened in that moment and they would let their kids go. Usually it didn't happen right then. It'd be maybe the next summer that they would willingly concede this. Uh, And in the course of this experience, uh, most of those parents became incredible advocates for missions because they saw their kids' willingness to submit to their authority. 
And a beautiful transformation happened even in their own personal walks with the Lord through their kids' willingness to submit their will to the will of their parents. So you're still under someone else's authority if someone else is paying all your bills, so to speak. And it's not really marked by age as it is so much stage in life. For those of us who've stepped out from the authority of our parents and we're paying all of our own bills, our obligation moves from obedience to honor. Honor, respect, initiate, pursue, listen to wisdom, but then we live our own lives. But if you're under their authority, you still have an obligation to obey. Now, Paul gives a third reason for us here. First of all, because you're in the Lord. Second, because this is right. It's the right thing to do. But then third, there is in fact a reward associated with submission to parents' authority. Read with me again verses 2 and 3. It says, honor your father and mother, which is in fact the first commandment with the promise, so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So if you obey your parents, you're always going to live longer, right? Well, no, that's not exactly what it's saying. It's, it's, uh, it's not a guarantee. It's what we call proverbial a maxim. This is a generally true statement. This is what dominates our interpretation of the book of Proverbs. This is generally true. If you live well and wisely, you probably will live longer and better. If you live foolishly, generally speaking, life is shorter and worse. Let me illustrate. From the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord says, You shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess. Now, are there exceptions to that? Sure. But what the Lord is saying is, I'm giving you all these commandments not to ruin your life, but to make your life wonderful and good and blessed. In fact, wise living is good living. Wise living typically is longer living. And you know what, kids? Your parents just have a few little experiences that are more than what you've known. And what I want to challenge you to do this morning is just to ask God to help you learn to trust. Just help ask God, say, God, I don't always agree, and I think they're wrong so much of the time, but Lord, please teach me to learn to trust them. Teach me to walk in wisdom. Now, let's turn to parents. Chapter 6, verse 4. Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. In the first century, Paul is writing, fathers had absolute and complete control over their children. Absolute control. They could shame their children, they could guilt their children, they could demean their children, they could physically punish their children to a level that's beyond what we could imagine right now, and there was no CPS. Right? There was no child protective services. The, father, the father's will was absolute. And so Paul turns here first to the fathers, and what he's saying in a sense is restrain the exercise of your authority. Don't live consistently with the culture around you. Because as we spoke about last week, in, or two weeks ago, when we were talking about husbands and wives, the concept of the family was this, that the father has absolute complete authority, and wife and children exist for the will of the father and the good of the father and the pleasure of the father. And what Paul has said in terms of relationship with spouse and with children is, no, fathers, you exist for the good of your family. They don't exist for your good. You exist for their good. And so absolutely everything that you do in their lives should be not for your pleasure, but for their formation and for their good, even when you discipline. 
Right? Hebrews chapter 12 is a great chapter on discipline, and it says, Our earthly fathers disciplined us as seemed best to them and best for them, but God disciplines us, how? For our good. Whether he's blessing or whether he's disciplining, it's all for our good. And so Paul says something that's truly and genuinely radical in this when he says, Fathers, don't anger your children. Don't frustrate your children. Live in a countercultural way, right? And he addresses fathers only here. Certainly it applies to mothers as well. But Paul is going to the father as the head of the home and he's saying, you have the responsibility to shift how your family operates and make it completely countercultural. It's not for the good of the father. It's for the good of the family. So you exist as a leader in your home, as a servant leader. And he starts with a negative. He says, don't provoke your children to anger. Now, what does he mean by that? Because I will tell you, um, pretty much at any time I tell my kids no, it makes them mad at some level, right? I mean, when I'm told no, I, I get mad because I, I want what I want. So he can't be saying just uh, don't tell your kids no, right? Because that makes them angry and just always tell them yes. That's not what he means. What, what's he talking about? What he's talking about is, is crushing their spirits. He's talking about crushing the spirit. I had a mom tell me one time, she said, you know, my goal is I know that the Lord has called me uh, to, to break the will, but not crush the spirit. And I thought that was a really good phrase. Notice what Paul says in the parallel passage in Colossians. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. And that word for losing heart means literally in a sense to be without fire or to be without passion, to, to, to crush the spirit within them. And that happens when, parents, when, when we're just constantly focusing on the negative, when we're nagging and we're looking at the failure. And children feel like they can never do enough to meet our expectations. They become disheartened. The fire goes out. And that's when actually disobedience becomes worse. Because we've crushed the spirit. I remember when um, Ben was little, he was playing t-ball. And this little guy... Uh, on his team, got up to bat, and man, he was just terrible, right? He's just, he's, he, how can you miss the ball, right? He's swinging at the ball, and he's missing, he's over, and then he hits the, the stick that's holding the ball up, and he's just thump, thump, and he's just, it's just terrible. I didn't even know he could strike out in T-ball, but he struck out, right? He's out, and so he's wandering back to the dugout, you know, he's dragging his bat, and you can tell he's just so discouraged, and his dad reaches down, and he grabs him and puts him up on the fence and starts yelling at him and berating him. It was, it was horrible. And yes, I did say something. <laughs> Man, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're crushing the spirit within him. What's the opposite of that? What's bringing the spirit to life? Right? That's what encouragement means, to, to breathe life into the heart, to bring hope and confidence. These are the children who do best in the world. All of the scales of social adjustment are at their highest when kids are confident that they can go out into the world and try their best and fail and still be absolutely and utterly and completely loved and move on and try again. So Paul says, don't crush the spirit of your children. Instead, he says, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. If you look back in chapter 5, verse 29, Paul uses the same word. He says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it. Same word, nourish them. That is, bring them up or nourish them. All that you do is for your family's good. Father, mother, 
Family is not ultimately for your enjoyment and pleasure. It's for the good of these entrusted to your charge under your authority. And notice there are three phrases that I want to unpack here. He says, first, bring them up in the instruction, or literally it's the training of the Lord. Training, that is, teach them the life skills that they need. There's a body of knowledge that needs to be applied. It's like wisdom or in the Old Testament, that that concept of chokmah, that is skill in living. Teach them how to live well. And teach them the the admonition, literally, of the Lord. That is, show them where the curbs are. Remind them that there there are enemies in the street. Keep your place here and turn back to Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20. Proverbs 6, verse 20, it reads like this. My child, observe the commandment of your father. Do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Right? Proverbs is all about the way of life. Long living, great living, healthy living, wonderful living. And, Paul, or, and then Proverbs goes on, Solomon goes on and he says, because if you don't follow them, you're going to wander into the street and there will be enemies who will destroy you. Right? Keep away from that adulterous woman. Keep away from those foolish friends who want to steal and destroy. Keep away. Show your children where the curbs are. Right? Teach them positively wise living. Negatively, show them where all of the dangers and the pitfalls are. And then there's a third phrase. He says, do it in the Lord. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm reading my Bible and I just kind of skim over a phrase really quickly. But this is critical. He says, do this in the Lord. In other words, teach them what the Lord would teach them. So if I can frame that differently, I want to ask you, what is the goal of parenting? What are we actually aiming for? Well, I think we could state it. We, we, we would say we want them to love Jesus. Or we, want, we want them to follow Jesus, and we want them to frame all of life around Jesus. And when Jesus says go, we want them to go. And Jesus says stop, we want them to stop. We want them to say yes to Jesus and absolutely everything, right? In other words, it's, it's about character. That's what we want. That's what we long for. Now, I want to ask you, though, again, what, what's your goal for your kids? And how do you know what your goal is actually, really? Not what you would just say or write in your journal, this is my goal for my kids. What do you, what do you really want for your kids? What do you praise in their lives? Is it just their accomplishments? Right? Do, do you praise their accomplishments? What do you pursue with them? Where do you invest the greatest amount of time and passion and money for your kids? That's what you really have as a goal for your kids. And I will tell you, within the church, what I see is really, really the primary goal for our kids a lot of times is not character, but it's accomplishment. It's academics, it's athletics, it's dance, it's music, it's art, it's things that are, in a sense, hobbies. Now, some of those may become careers for about 0.01% of your kids. They might. But we invest everything there. That's what we show our kids that we actually value. And, and I'm not saying any of those things are bad things. or not. You know, when I was growing up, man, I was into athletics. I loved every form of competition. And my parents made room for me to do that. But it was also very clear that they didn't build all of life around that or all of life around me. But that Jesus was the center of our home. And it was a really good lesson for me. But I had to relearn it in a sense when I became a parent. I, I remember very vividly 
uh, having just kind of one of those aha moments. And when I describe it for you, you're going to go, duh, and why did it take you so long? But, you know, sometimes you just have to experience things to get things. I was um, uh, with my kids, uh, taking them to an Aggie game. Actually, we weren't going to the game. I just took them up early, and we're watching the Corps march in, and they're sitting on the cannon, and we're, you know, watching the yell leaders outside and doing some stuff pregame and doing some, uh, you know, visiting some different tents and folks we knew. And, and in that moment, I remember thinking very consciously, I'm like, man, I, my, I want my kids to go to Texas A&M, right? Whoop. I, I mean, I just, that's what I really, really, really want for my kids. And then I just had this moment, all of a sudden I thought, but what if they don't get in? And I felt a little moment of disappointment, and I thought, but wait a second. What do I really long for for my kids? What do I really long for? Because I was just having that moment where I was thinking, man, do they have, like, kindergarten SAT prep? We need to get on this thing. <laughs> I thought, no, you know, I don't want my kids to love Jesus. They may go to some other college. They may not go to college at all. I, that's Okay. I want them to love Jesus. I want them to say yes to Jesus at absolutely every turn in life. That's what I long for for my kids. And that's what I want to pursue. That's what I want to show them. So parents, you know what? The most powerful parenting tool that you possess is what you model. What your genuine affections are in life for yourself and for them. That speaks more loudly than anything else that you do in life. Christian Smith is a Christian sociologist, and he made this statement. He said, when it comes to kids' faith, parents get what they are. We get what we are. Because we can say all kinds of things to our kids verbally, but then they're going to they're gonna pick up on what we really love and what we really pursue and what we're really passionate about. Now, that's a really heavy statement. And some of you right now may just feel really tired as parents, and now you feel tired and guilty as parents. That's not, that is not my objective. So let me, let me put this um, in context a little bit for you. Um, I think that uh, sometimes, you know, we, we forget what the actual um, goal is in parenting. And we forget what we're actually responsible for. Right, discouragement can come in a lot of forms. It may be that you're, you're a brand new parent and you're just worn out right, physically. Um, we had a couple light the candle this morning and they're you know, just pregnant with their first baby and they're glowing. It's awesome. It's wonderful. I'm like, just wait. You know, I mean, those first six, eight, ten weeks, oh man, this is, I remember Tristan and I, we were in that moment, we, we finally looked at each other and we said, look, nothing we say for the next several weeks counts. Just, you know, you know I love you. And I, yeah, right. And we're just, we're just crazy people because sleep deprivation is a form of torture. And we're being tortured right now. Just, we love this, this child God's given us, but he's torturing us. And uh, so, okay, but then you come out of that. But it's so hard, right? Those first several years, they're really hard physically. And then they're hard emotionally. And maybe you're feeling really worn out. And I want to remind you that... Um, you're not responsible for the final outcomes. You're responsible for the input along the way. There was one father, and he was absolutely and utterly perfect. And his children turned out terrible. He's called Israel, and he's called God. And they live in rebellion against him and have rejected his firstborn son, even to this day. Right? So we're responsible for what we give in, and God's responsible for the final product. 
Now, the other thing I, I think that really discourages us sometimes is this fact that we forget the goal and we've just got to reset. Say, so what's, what's actually the goal? It's not all these accomplishments and so forth, but it's their character. And so this is where we're going to invest. And I think we also get discouraged because we have expectations and then reality. <laughs> right? And, you know, in the expectations, uh, I remember um, when our kids started getting a little bit older and then they started fighting a bit and Tristy turned to me and she said, wait a second, I thought Christian kids never fought. Because right, <laughs> she wasn't raised in a home uh, you know, where Christ is at the center. And she's like, oh my gosh. And she was, looked at me shocked. And I looked at her shocked. Because I had been raised in a Christian home. And we fought. And I'm like, of course this happens. Or do you say to yourself, gosh, I'm never going to discipline my kids in anger. I'm, not, I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm not going to raise my voice. I'm always going to discipline them in love and self-control. <laughs> you know, and then you just, boom, you just lose it, right? You say, my kids will never whine. They're, my kids, other children whine, but I'm going to be such a great parent, they won't whine and they won't sit in front of the, a video for three hours because I'm tired of disciplining them. And they're not going to eat sugar, maybe an apple. <laughs> right? And then reality kicks in. Right? Reality kicks in, and you just have to reset. Say, what, what am I actually responsible for? And what does God want for my kids? And let me follow that pattern. Okay? Let me follow that pattern and follow the Lord. Now, let me give you a couple of specific applications as it relates to this. First is this. Uh, kids, I just want to encourage you uh, just to ask God to teach you to trust your parents. And I know it's hard, and you can't always agree with the things that they say, but just ask God to stretch you, to train you, just to, to trust them a bit. Is there, I just promise you there are things that you'll understand a bit later that you can't understand right now, but you need God's Spirit to teach you and train you to trust. Parents, pray for your kids. I mean, really pray for them. Uh, Tristy prays for our kids like all of the time, which is so encouraging to me because I know that at least they're getting one parent praying for them all the time, right? No, just kidding. Uh, I pray for our kids too. <laughs> I know that I do not pray as much as my wife, but I do pray absolutely every day. And you know, as I'm praying for my kids, I am reminded about what I really value based upon what I'm praying for them on that particular day. Because I tend to start with prayers that are they're kind of important, but really not that important. And then I'm reminded, and the Lord says, but what do you really want for your son? And what do you really want for your daughter? And I dive deeper into prayer for them. I want to encourage you, pray for your kids. Model what you desire for your kids. If your life is not built around Jesus Christ and saying yes to everything that Jesus calls you to do, don't expect them to say yes as well. But when you do begin to say yes, they'll see that. Right? They'll see you begin to take courageous steps of faith. And they'll learn to follow. Love and discipline. Now, right, this is just kids and parents 101. This is, you know, 40 minutes to talk about this. There's so much more that can be said. But let me summarize. Um, you just can't tell your kids enough that you love them. Tell them lots and lots and lots of times a day until they just kind of get tired of hearing, yeah, I know, Dad. Yeah, I know, Mom. You already said it. Ah, just wear them out with that. Wear them out with affection. Even... People whose love language isn't physical touch, they need to be touched. They need to be held. They need to be loved. Do that for them. Um, Practically speaking, praise your kids. Talk about all the things that they're good at to them. Talk about their character to them, the things that you're proud of to them. Brag about them to other people around. Especially brag about them when they're standing there in front of other people. Breaks, crushes my heart when I hear parents knocking on their kids in front of other people. You know what? No kid is perfect, but you work that out with the Lord. Don't talk 
bad about your kids in front of other people. You just, just praise them. Build up their spirit. Give them courage and hope and confidence to go out into a really dangerous and, and, uh, and tough world. All right, love them and discipline them, which you know, in brief means this. Set reasonable boundaries for your kids. Kids progress and they make change, and when they're really, really little, this is very intuitive. We don't say to our babies, hey, go make a sandwich, and if not... Right? We, don't, we, we get it, but then they get a little older and we don't reset. What are they capable of at this stage of emotional and spiritual and intellectual development? Then we can apply the consequences consistently. And then we just set aside some extra money for their therapy. Because <laughs> you know what? You're not perfect. And they're not perfect. No perfect parents, no perfect kids. So live, live in grace. Give them grace. Give yourself grace. Live in grace. Right? Not perfection, but progress. That's what we're aiming at. Now, I want to make a couple more applications just briefly to discipleship. But as I do that, if I can ask our servers to go back and get prepared for communion. Okay, two thoughts. The first is this. We are all called to spiritually parent. This is discipleship just in different terms. And what's remarkable to me is uh, how many believers I interact with in the church who've never been discipled or discipled someone else, and it's often because they don't even know what that means. What it means is that you are helping someone else learn to follow Jesus and put Jesus at the center. And no matter how long you've walked with the Lord, maybe you're, maybe you're, just, maybe you're a kid and you go, man, what do I have to offer? Well, you have your story of finding Jesus. Give that to someone else. Or you have prayer and you've got a friend who's struggling with something. Say, well, you know what I do with that is I, I pray to God about it. And teach him to pray. Teach him the gospel, right? You always have something to give. And if you're an adult, you've walked a little bit longer, there's something that you can give away. And we have actually lots of people who, in a sense, disciple us. Lots of different input. And we need to just do that with others. Right? That's what the community is about. So on the flip side, we also need spiritual parents. We constantly need people in our lives that we listen to. They may be older, they may be younger, but we need to have people in our lives that we listen to their voice and their wisdom and we're willing to submit. We're willing to bend the knee because this is fundamental to the formation of our character as we follow Jesus who bent the knee before his father so that we could have life. All right, so as we close, uh, if I can't ask the servers to come to the front and uh, give us the bread and the cup, what I want you to think about as we're being served is this. Um, we have a perfect Heavenly Father who loves us absolutely and unconditionally and perfectly forever. That's why He sent His Son. The second reason He sent His Son is because He's, he's just and He knows that uh, failure and sin uh, has consequences, and so He gave us His Son to pay that debt so that we could have life. And the son said yes, and he bent his knee before the father, and we have life. And so let's just give thanks for that truth this morning, that God sent his son, and Jesus said yes, so that we could have life as we remember through bread and cup. So we're going to be served here, and we'll wait until everyone's served, and then we'll take it, bread and cup together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this bread is my body broken for you. Let's take the bread together. Then Jesus took the cup also and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we are grateful that you were willing to send your son. Jesus, we're thankful that you were willing to humble yourself as creator and bend your will to the will of the Father and to absorb the debt of our sins. 
And Father, I pray that you would uh, teach us to be those kinds of people who don't follow Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, but follow Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Say, not our will, but yours be done. As a result, Father, we, we really transform the world around us. Father, we are grateful. Father, again, I, I do pray that um, we would be people who learn to bend our will to you and say yes to you in absolutely everything. I pray that we shape and form our lives around Jesus and all that he calls us to do. And I pray, Father, as we do so, that others would see that, uh, whether it's our kids or the people in, around us in whose lives we're investing, and they would see that life is, is found in giving into you, that all that you call us to do is, is good and wise and true. Father, I pray for uh, our deepening love for you and our impact upon those around us. I pray that you just multiply that through the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, remember, we'll see you next week, but not in the morning, in the evening.